Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Well, Nicola. Well, 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 Jones. We've been reading the leaked extracts from Harry's memoir, all about fisticuffs of William. I literally, I, I cannot, I'm scouring for it all. I, I'm, I'm demented. There's, there was one detail in the account that made me think, yeah, this is true. And I know grown men shouldn't punch each other and fight. But one detail I thought made it true is that Harry said that William attacked him and broke his necklace. That isn't a detail that anyone would come up with if they no. were making, making it up because it's so no. silly. No, and and why would he make it up? I mean, that's sort of that's that's quite a big thing to say, isn't it? That your yeah. brother's attacked you. It's a big thing to say. And on Twitter, they've been comparing it to the Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars, and then now calling William the Fresh Prince of Wales. <laughs> God, I could just imagine them like sort of you know doing those sort of paddles slapping in the air at yeah. each other. Ow! Oh, Ow! Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Ow. That's what I can imagine, sort of posh people sort of slapping each other. But in all seriousness, and I said to you, well, it's also been revealed that Harry killed 25 people in Afghanistan. You know, he's an ex-military man. He should be able to stand up to William. But as you said, it's very different when it's your sibling. Very different, yeah. And I've, I've had a lot of conflict in my family. And especially if you're the younger child, which I was, it's very hard to escape the history of that person being older than you, you looked up to them. It's such a shock that someone in your family would turn against you. So that's why it's so different from him going into combat, where it's probably quite impersonal. But it's a job, isn't it? It's a job. He's trained to do it. It's a, it's a job. But William attacking him in, in Harry's own home, I just... I mean, I am feeling more sympathetic towards Harry as time yeah, goes along. I, I, I mean... The fact is, is they were so close. They lost their mum. They were a team. You know, William was the big brother that probably Harry relied on to get him through it and show him, you know, how to cope. And they were really close when they they put a charity together. And I've said this all before, but how awful that it comes to two grown men fighting in, in a, a kitchen. In a kitchen. I mean. How in, insane is that? Yeah, adults talk it through and act like you know adults. Just that turning it into a school ground—it's pretty pathetic on both levels. It is. I feel that with the Harry and Meghan stuff, do you not feel it's sort of been drip-fed to us? So we started well, out all along. We kept saying, even in the Oprah interview in Netflix, name names. Be specific. Don't just be vague. But that's but it, all saved up for the crescendo, isn't but it? But it all looks like they are naming names now. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've had, haven't we? We've had the interview that was quite vague. We've had the Netflix documentary, which slipped out a few more things. We've got this interview on Sunday, which I cannot wait for. 
I can't wait. And then next week we've got the book. I mean, that's us sorted, isn't it, for the next couple of weeks? Yeah, no, I can't wait. But I just think it's all really sad. And I am feeling more and more sympathetic towards Harry and Meghan. But you've written a piece, haven't you, that will be out quite soon? Yeah, I've written a piece about falling out with a sibling. And, and it, if you're the younger sibling as well, you do look up to that person. And you can be quite afraid of them. And I know I was afraid of my sister um, in a physical way and an emotional way. And she got to me in a way that nobody else could and would turn people against me. And it makes you unable, really, to trust anyone. I was going to say, because when you're, you've got that negative relationships in, in your formative years, that's going to affect how you see the world, isn't it? That's yeah. going to affect how you talk to, you know, people. How people well, how I just thought it was normal to be afraid. Yeah. And so it actually made me a very, very nervous person as an adult. I'm a very nervous person. I walk the dogs, I'm nervous. I drive on the worst way. I think I'm going to be in a fireball. I go on a plane, I think it's going to crash. No, I've never... I'm incredibly nervous. Really, I mean, and it is, and the thing is, it's quite a paradox, isn't it? Do you find me quite nervous? Incredibly. And and, and in some ways, you're very confident, you're, you know, you're, you're very forthright. And then you... So it's quite, you know, you surprising how nervous you are but you're always looking for the worst you know I say swell is asleep in the field you say she dead um if you do something I don't know like drop the horse's lead rope and and she goes in the opposite direction you, you really panic about it you know you scream you panic and everything is such a massive deal to is you know you, you can't just think oh well I've just I've dropped that she's walking off I'll go grab her it's, it, it frightens you. It really yeah. it, it attacks you to the core. But because I was so frightened as a child and no one stuck up for me, my parents didn't stick up for me, I learned that the only way you keep someone sweet is by giving them stuff. Mm. So have an outfit, have a car, have a holiday, have some money, and I continued that into every relationship I've ever been in, yeah. employees. Yeah. So when I was an editor, I used to give my staff all sorts of stuff, pay rises, yeah. trips, Friday afternoon off. None of them were grateful. No. They, didn't, they still didn't make them like me. Same with men, because I'd learnt as a child I have to give her everything to keep her quiet, to stop her going into a rage. I did it with men as well, so I would give them stuff. So like with Trevor, I gave him... When we broke up, I gave him Technics mixing desks so he could be a DJ. Yeah. I gave my husband a car. Oh, I can't. I mean, and so it was many because times. I learned as a child, you have to keep her happy. Yeah, I mean, so many times I've said to you, don't give so and so that. Keep it for yourself. You know, don't know. Keep it for you. And you, it, it's just, you can't do it. I turn around and it's gone. And I remember once I was sort of laughing with you and I said you reminded me of that character on Catherine Tate. <coughs> you know, the way she's sitting on the sofa and she, the husband opens a crisp package and goes, ah! And the doorbell rings and she goes, ah! You know, <laughs> I've just frightened all the dogs. And it remind, you remind me of her and, and I sort yeah. of said it in quite a humorous way. But in reality, it's humorous in, in, in if you look at it like that. But if you look at why you're actually doing it, it is not funny at all. Because that's quite a genuine 
Yeah, I, sure. And I found that all my <coughs> troubles, and obviously my readers and listeners know about my troubles, so, you know, losing the farm and losing my house and being made bankrupt and all that kind of stuff, it all stemmed from a sibling relationship, yeah. whereas I was it terrified did. and I would do anything to keep them happy. It did. No, well, I mean, when I met you, I mean, how long have I worked for you now? About 15 years. Long time. When I met you, you it was before all this. And you were a completely different person. You you really were a completely different person. You were you were quite confident. You were quite optimistic, very can do. And I sort of I watched that being eroded as the situation developed. And it it wasn't pleasant. But the way it's left you now, it it, it you are a different person. And that's really sad that one person yeah can affect your life so detrimentally. It's it's, it's really sad to watch let alone be part of like even if someone knocks on my door i think that's the bailiffs it's the police i always think it's going to be doomed and this entirely goes back to me as a child being bullied by a sibling it does so i have sympathy with harry i really do because there is nothing worse especially when your parents don't protect you yeah. And it doesn't really sound like Charles took William by the scruff of the neck and said, listen, mate, you've just inherited the Duchy of Cornwall and 20 billion or whatever it is. Just be a little bit magnanimous towards yeah. Harry. Yeah. Or if it was my mother, he'd have got a slap and said, behave yourself. Get back in your box. Wind your neck in. So do you want to talk about how your 2023 is going so far? Yes. This is going to be our year. So I thought I'd share how my year was going so far, which was Martin wrote the car off yesterday on black ice. Yeah, but that's something to do with you. Nothing to do with me, but it still affects me. And I've got a colonoscopy at the weekend. So this is my year so far. So a colonoscopy means they're going up your butt bottom. Yes. So, of course, obviously, I've got all the jokes from Martin. Every possible anal joke that you can think of that's been on Facebook, YouTube or anything else is being regurgitated non-stop. He did offer to take me at the weekend, but I figured that at some point... You don't mean would, take you. No, to to the hospital. But I figured that being trapped in a car with Marty with all his butt jokes was going to really not be... There was a really funny picture posted on Twitter... Um, about British anomalies, and it was like um, family planning clinic, and underneath it said entrance at rear. <laughs> no, I'm getting sedation. I want you to know that I'm getting sedation. <laughs> no entrance at rear. No, <laughs> but I have had some good things so far this year. I've had colonic irrigation. I've had that, but I don't think this is the same. I think this is. Pretty much the camera goes up quite a long way. I'm not I'm not interested. I'm not happy. But I have had three consecutive wins on the Euro Millions. How much? £2.80, number one. You know you get that, that email that says you, you have won. won a prize. And, like, you put it off and you're shaking and you're thinking, if I wait a little bit longer, somehow that's going to make the prize bigger. It's about having hope, isn't it? It's, it's clinging to that bit of hope. So I thought, oh, good price, good price. £2.80 the first one. 
hashtag grateful because that went and bought another ticket with which I won £2.90. Hashtag grateful. So I thought, third time lucky. That's two consecutive wins. The universe is building me up. It's like Harry's book. We're coming to the crescendo. So I put it on the next one and I did win. I thought three consecutive wins. I said, this is going to be it. This is going to be the jackpot. I was actually planning what car I'd buy, my holiday, where to look for a house. It was all going through my head like a million miles an hour. None of this it ain't going to change my life, bollocks. No chance. It will change my life dramatically. Five pound. Five pound. See, I think the lottery and win a million pound house and that is just a tax on the poor because I never bought a lottery ticket until I was poor. It's a tax on the poor. I wouldn't. No, I mean, I, if I if I had money, I wouldn't buy a lottery ticket. I'd never ticket. bought a lottery ticket before. No, no. N- now, from the period of when I'm paid to, to I lose any chance of solvency, during that period, I'm manically doing the lottery just in case it'll get me through. But the last thing that's good this month is I have prospects. So a friend of mine called me for a chat. She's got her tarot cards what out. What friend? Phil. She called me for a chat. Who's Phil? She Phil. has all this. They're not really her friends. No, she's my friend. She's not. She she's not very, a physical friend. Kind. She's a physical friend. She she's exists. not. You've never met her. She exists. She very kindly offered. She's a professional tarot and She offered tarot readings for when I did auctions and things um, on Twitter. See, Nick pretends to be friendly and cuddly to everyone. So she'll ring the woman at the feed merchant. Hello, darling. How are you? Whereas I, and she'll talk to the gardener next door. All right, my love. How do you know? You know, I just get grunts. Uh, it's, uh, like, it's, it's like you've just transpired me into but you're not the real but you're not that's not the real you yes. whereas i am the real me always grumpy grumpy but do you want to know what she said when she got a tarot Go cards out she said that apparently i need to oust martin and get rid of him yeah but we all said that yeah i know my mum likes that bit but as a really nice man he's about 40 so he's a bit old for me really he's a bit out of my age range she's is he overweight no, well, I didn't get any dish. She was younger than me. And I said, oh, well, how young? And she said, well, about 40. I said, that, but I'm 52. That's not young enough. Are you sure you're me. 52? I am until next week. I am until next week. And I'm clinging to 52 until the last millisecond. But she said, this nice man had come along. And do you know what my response was? Is he a vet? He's not going to be a vet. A vet I, isn't going to want you. Why would a vet not want me? Because he's educated and got money and i've had educated rich boyfriends before don't judge me on martin no don't judge me on martin (laughs) so i'm like if he's a fair i'm gonna weigh my options up do you know what i mean i said to her look into is it she said but he's creative i said i don't care about creative i want useful you don't like creative what do you mean i'm creative no you're not i'm quite creative no you're not how Cooking. I'm very creative. Cooking's not creative. It is creative. When I've got cupboard full of things that mismatch and nothing, I can still make a dinner out of it. That's what being poor does, dear. You can still make a dinner out of these strange, weird things in your cupboard. I don't and have fridge. any strange, weird things in no, my you, cupboard. No, you're you're not normal. You've got nothing. Most people have like bits in their cupboard quarter of a packet of this or a little bit of this or a little bit of that and then you amalgamate it into this it's really like when your mum dogs dog sat for me because i think you were dead or something she said i've never been in the house before where there's nothing to eat no 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 there's not there's actually if anyone thinks we're exaggerating here you open lizzie's fridge and there's a bottle of pellegrino and a bottle of champagne 
And that's it. And that's it. That's it. And I, I don't. I don't even have frozen peas. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of wondering, and I've never wondered it before. Oh no, she's got this smoke on her face. If my eating disorder was to do with my sibling, possibly wasn't something said about. Yeah, because calories. the first, the first time I ever thought about food as anything other than just oh, it's lunch. I suppose I was about 11, I was in bed, and I used to share a bedroom with my sisters, and my mum used to stagger in like Mrs. Overall Aww. with a Nescafe coffee Aww. at the weekend and marmalade on toast. And I remember my sister said to me, do you know how many calories are in that marmalade? And from that was a switch went in my brain. Yeah, that's not nice. I actually blame that person for everything because even just seeing the difference in you from when I met you to now I have no problem no issue at all like she I mean she tried it with me didn't she but you know I sort of sent her packing but she tried it with me and I wasn't even anything to do with her I was just your employee so no 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 Do you want to hear this week's column? I do. Which is the whole point of this podcast. No, it's me trying to find a vet to marry. This podcast is me putting it out to the universe. Where's my vet? Do you want to hear the column? It's the first column of the year. This is is really important. No, it's not. There was one last week. No, but after New Year. This is after New Year. No, but there was one last week. This isn't the first one. Yeah, but we recorded before New Year, so it don't count. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Go on, go on, crack on. I didn't go to meet Midland's man at the Ivy in Harrogate. The weather was sub-zero and I couldn't face an hour each way on ice. I wanted to watch England play France. I also wasn't well. Having caught a bug in London, my throat hurt. But the main reason was that I knew I would only be meeting him to fuel this column. He just isn't my type. What is her type, I hear you asking, given I married a fat Indian with huge dark eyes and was in love for 40 years with a skinny rebel with piggy blue eyes. I've decided not only that I won't meet a man to give me something to write about, but that I will no longer do anything that will make life more interesting, but will be detrimental to my well-being. Woo! Good. I'm pleased do you like that. that? I like that. I, I think we're all collectively cheering. You know, no more self-sabotage. No more bad decisions that, that's going to sort of make it harder for you. I'm cheering that. I'm cheering you on. Girl power. See, I've done it many, many times in the past. When my marriage failed, I got a horse. Yes, I love horses. I mean, I've always loved horses. But I'm also scared of them. They're ruinously expensive. But the trips to see the new horse made two columns. I sold my London house and moved to Somerset. Those columns were heartbreaking, given I lost my Georgian townhouse was forced to sleep the first night in my farm on the floor with Squeaky the cat on my chest. I remember my editor saying to me, but Liz, will moving to the countryside be interesting enough? And I pried that, well, I'm sure to fall out with builders, neighbours. The pressures were enormous. I remember one builder standing on my yard looking at the roof of a barn saying, you will have to keep earning to afford the upkeep on all this. No one tells you the cost of oil or mending fences or the constant driving huge distances. It's romantic at first, then cold, hard reality kicks in. When my rescue horse Lizzie arrived in her new home, she turned up with Benji, whom I'd never clapped eyes on, a stubby new forest pony. 
He was to be my thoroughbred's companion, except, of course, I didn't know ponies have very different needs to a racehorse. They can't always be on grass, for example. The very first night I got him, he started dripping with sweat, unable to breathe. I called the woman, who worked for a very, 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 very big famous charity, who brought him down, begging me to take him. He was due to be shot at the end of that week, so that's why I took him. So I said, he's sweating, he can't breathe, he's panting, he's, the water's running off him. Do you know what she said? Are the lights in the stable too bright? Bear in mind, this is a horsey person. I called the emergency vet, and I remember hopping up and down in the lane, looking for his car, out of my mind with worry. It turned out that Benji has COPD, which is common obstructive pulmonary disease, and asthma. I mean, you've just seen me giving an inhaler to a pony. Yeah. It wasn't it's not easy. easy. It's not easy. It means he can never be on straw or anything other than soaked or steamed hay. But, of course, the rescue centre hadn't told me that. As I'd owned him for less than two weeks, for less than 24 hours, actually, yeah, yeah. the insurance people wouldn't pay up, and they never have. And his condition has gone on for 15 years. Yeah, oh, it's a lifelong thing. I only got married for a series of increasingly disastrous columns. I knew David wasn't the man for me. After our first lunch at Le Candle Locatelli, after a hiatus of 35 years, he seemed too old, too fragile. He had this sort of halo of grey hair. He was like a ghost. He seemed very frail. I ignored the red light, the fact he let me pay for lunch. I dated the rock star even though he'd run to fat and was so self-obsessed he would go out to buy milk and never return. I'm always writing things to my detriment. Take the piece I wrote in the Daily Mail on the horrors of renting in your 60s a few weeks ago. I was so worried about the fallout from the landlady, I hid at my house for three days. And she actually did. She actually did. I was did. terrified. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, what I'm saying in sl slightly delayed New Year's resolution fashion is that I've decided to put my welfare first, not drive two hours on ice on a Saturday to later eviscerate some poor, unfortunate chap. Oh, and do you know what might have brought about all this? I think I might have met someone nice, worthy of me, a writer. That's all I'm saying for now. Honestly, will I not be writing about him? We all know I probably won't be able to resist. But maybe you'll just, you know, do it differently. Well, actually, I met him at a party. I've never heard from him since. Yeah, but you... Could cross again, couldn't you? Do you mean you're you're in the same sort of situation that you can you quite easily could cross again? These things sometimes build up. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your step off point is. What a wonderful, positive, self empowering, self care way to start the new year. I'm Gwyneth. You well, oh god, don't you start inserting things? Don't you start getting egg-shaped crystals and things and inserting them. No. I've got my vagina candle. No, 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 no. That's, that's just wrong. No. Do you know what my moan is this week? It's not me again, is it? Were you last week? I was one of them, I think. Do you know what I'm moaning about this week? Go on, as long as it's not me. Budget hotels. You've had a bad experience, haven't you? Now, I wouldn't put myself in a budget hotel, but somebody who should be name nameless... At the moment. Wasn't me though, wasn't me. Put me in a budget hotel. I know better. I was made to stay in one on Queensway, West London. After travelling for 300 miles, I arrived at 1pm to be told, check-in time is 3pm. 
but is the room ready? I asked, wanted to get changed, put my bag down, get rid of my laptop. Have a cup of coffee. It is, she said, but if you enter the room early, we charge £20 an hour. Have you ever heard anything like that? So I'm thinking... Have you ever heard? No. The room, what skin is it of her nose? If the room was ready, I went and sat in it for an hour. <coughs> but I'm thinking if it's an extra £20 per hour, it must be a really nice room to be able to charge that. When I eventually checked in after 3pm, the room was icy, the TV didn't work, there wasn't even a bottle of water, it didn't do room service... I also had £50 taken off my card. So I said, why? Why are you doing that? The, the room's already been paid for. Why are you taking £50 off my card? In case you smoke in the room, trash it or steal something. What on earth could they possibly have to steal if they don't even put water in the room? There was nothing. What is it? In that room, there was nothing, 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 nothing. So you're not staying there again then? No, I've refused. No. Put your foot down, Jones. Self-care, self-worth. Exercise your boundaries, Jones. You can read this week's diary in full on Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Now, it was very sad this week that the designer Vivian Westwood died. It was. It was really sad. And there's been lots and lots of tributes. And the best piece, because you know I kept saying to you, Nick, this is a journalist thing. I said, oh, what about write about Vivian Westwood for Saturday? But I need to take the story on. I need to take the story on. But you didn't really understand that, did you? I did in the end. I did. You can't just do a potted biography of her again, which was all in the papers the previous day. You have to take the story on. And so the best piece... That took the story on. That took the story on was from... And also, if you've never met Vivian Westwood, and I kept saying, I've interviewed her, I've interviewed her, I've interviewed her loads of time, I've been to all her shows. If you've never met Vivian Westwood, all you're doing is a cut job. Cut and paste, cut and paste, cut and paste. Stop it, stop doing that! But apparently, when we looked at the archives, you've written 93 pieces. Well, yeah, I called the library, because you've got to give him something to do, haven't you, now in the age of Google, and I said, listen, what's his name, Peter? Peter. Peter, can you call up my best piece on Vivian Westwood? And he found that I'd written about Vivian Westwood 93 times. 93 times. Anyway, the best piece was by Deborah Ross in The Times. And she went to the Amazon rainforest with Vivian Westwood in 2012. And it's so, so, so intimate and funny. And you learn more about Vivian Westwood than just a cuttings job of her obituary in Wikipedia. I'm sorry, it doesn't cut it these days, everyone. It does not cut it. And they're climbing through the jungle. So she'd given about a million pounds to this project and she wanted to see what was happening. And her husband went as well. And it's very funny and it's also very moving. The facilities were modest, to say the least, on the Amazon rainforest. There was a makeshift toilet built in Vivian's honour, the horrors of which I will never be able to speak of. But Dame Viv was unashamedly unfazed and asked simply, is it working for number twos? (laughs) And then Deborah writes that I once held Dame Vivian's skirt while she squatted behind a bush. 
But whenever I heard, I'm hungry, or I'm thirsty, or my ankles are swollen, or, oh, there's a snake, that was me. Vivian never complained once, even though she must be used to swanking it up. And there's a picture of Dame Vivian crouched on a canoe in the middle of the Amazon. What's the river called? Is it the Amazon? I think so, yeah. <laughs> so Deborah said she wrote at the time, I've yet to see Donatella Versace crouch doggy style on a canoe with her skirt hoiked into her pants. But then I don't get out much. That's what you want, though, isn't it? Those personal Yeah, you don't stories. want just the cuttings job from Wikipedia. I sort of don't care where someone went to college or what. No. I don't care what year they took but over. But it's something. a very, very touching bit here where she says, after the trip, we kept in touch and met a few times, and she always sent me a Christmas card and a dress I've never worked out how to wear. The last time I spoke to Andreas, her husband, there was about a 25-year age gap. Take note about this, Nicola. Take note. Oh, I'm, I'm waiting for my vet now. The last time I spoke to Andreas, Vivian's husband, I asked if he had noticed the age gap between them, and he said no. But he said the age gap had started to scare him. She has incredible stamina, he said. When we ride the bike, I get to the top of the hill and I look beside me and she's come to the top of the hill. But I know one day this will change. That is what frightens me. And this is why I must treasure every moment with her. So he was just worried about her getting old and oh. leaving him. Oh, that's so nice. Martin's more worried about the insurance. Oh, that's nice. What, on his car? No, if, like my life insurance. Oh, he's not getting it. You not, never told me he's getting some. He's he, doesn't not, got, he doesn't have your horses. He's not getting some, but he likes to blink his. He'll probably come after you. <laughs> no, this is serious, Nick. What do you mean it's serious? Well, he doesn't look after your horses. He's not say. getting any. He's not getting any. I think he lives in hope, though. So didn't you think that was a brilliant piece of writing? It is, yeah. So I've written 93 pieces on Vivian West, but not one of them was as good as that. I don't think it's worth reading it out. Well, we're here now. No, I'm just not going to do it. Have you not got some bits that you well, want to Well, no, I just, I just wrote a piece saying that I think Kate should stop keep wearing Alexander McQueen because if you look at the silhouette of Alexander McQueen it's it's like a blade of grass isn't it it's narrow it's tiny waist yeah a bit of puff at the shoulders it's always the same whereas I think Vivian makes women look like women and she has corsetry and draping and busts and hips so she's quite a womanly designer. So I wrote a yeah. piece in the Daily Mail saying, I think Kate should start wearing Vivian Westwood, not just stick to McQueen. Because I don't actually think Alexander McQueen, I know he's dead. And my friend, Kerry, who was my PA, very willing Kerry. <laughs> Unlike me. <laughs> I wrote a piece about Alexander McQueen just after he died. And Kerry emailed me. She said, Liz, trust you to write the only negative piece about Alexander McQueen in the whole of the world. But I said I don't think he actually liked women. Yeah. He invented bumpsters. He invent, you know, I went to one of his shows and the women, the models on the catwalk were pole dancing. Yeah. I don't want to see models pole dancing. I don't no. actually think he liked women, but I do think Vivian did like women. She thought that anyone could be beautiful. So I thought I wrote a piece saying that Kate should swap to Westwood, but now she's dead. 
So who knows what will happen. But also, she never, ever sold out. Like, and she didn't have, there was, she wasn't a nep- Nepo baby. You know what a Nepo baby is? No idea. It's about nepotism. Oh, okay. So if you're Lily Allen or yep. Stella McCartney, yep. you're really where you are because of who your parents were. And uh, she, she got to the top in fashion without yep. nepotism. And a year or so ago, she had Assange in balloons outside a Convict Street flagship shop. What other designer would have Julian Assange's name picked no. out above their shop? She didn't really care about money. No. She went everywhere on a bicycle. And also, she didn't care about women looking pretty and perfect. Her makeup was always messy. And I did interview her a few times. And I could never make head or tail what she was saying because she's one of these people you can't pin them down. Yeah. And I remember a show in Paris, she put a leaflet on everyone's seat about how you shouldn't be buying stuff and you should recycle and that, which was kind of a dilemma, really, when you're a fashion designer. But her feeling was that you should buy something you love and keep it for 30 years. Yeah, which is what you do, isn't it? You, yeah. You've got pieces that you paid a lot of money for, but, like, what, 30, 25 years ago, and you've still got them and you still wear them? Yeah, I've still got a moth. There is a moth, though. Is there my, a moth? Yeah, there is a moth. So there's nothing we can do about that, is there? See, so I wore my helmet lang to do a piece, that ageing piece. So I wore my helmet lang shirt with a Pirates Vivian Westwood T-shirt, which I got in the very early 80s. But I noticed in the taxi there was a little hole. That was, that was Mr. Moth. Oh, dear. Little, little stitch. Just a little stitch. Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at Liz Jones Goddess. Do you want to know what our readers have been saying? Well, are they interesting? (laughs) I think you'll find this one interesting. Because Linda says, Dear Liz, just read your New Year's Day diary. It's not a diary, Linda. Linda, 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 Linda. It's not a diary. It's a column. You can't blame I'm columnist Linda. of the year, not diarist you, of the year. You can't blame it's Linda. Not a col- it's not a diary. You can't blame Linda. It's I called, can, it's called because Linda, Linda diary. you should have listened and learned. Oh, but she says, she's being nice. Linda's being nice. She says it's the best you've done. I don't think it was. Just buying the ticket to Australia instead of wasting money. I hope you're blessed. But after my friend read that, Andrea, she texted me and she said, Liz, you won't survive economy to Australia. I can't see you doing it. That was the first thing I said, wasn't it? You're going to regret it. But Andrea said, you cannot go economy to Australia. But this is all part of the new you, isn't it? This is all no, part of No, because I'm going to puff up. It doesn't matter, does it, if you're not seeing, like, quality Nigel at the end of it. You, I might, got, though. You've got time to de-puff, haven't you? It's like when It'll I went fine. to Bali, which is when I first met Nigel... And I landed in some god-awful place like Qatar or Singapore or something. And I went to buy some touche claire from East Saint Laurent. 
<laughs> by the box before I got the next flight to Bali, which is almost in Australia. They didn't tell me that when I was going to this. They didn't say it's nearly in Australia. I didn't know that. I really want to go to it's Bali. Nearly, no, it's horrible. They've is got cop fighting. No. And the beaches are dirty. Bastards. Anyway, I got to the Yves Saint Laurent desk at Singapore or Qatar and said, can I have some touche clown? She said, she said, yes, you can. She got it for me. She said, would you like to put some on now? <laughs> Bugger off. Which brings us to Steve, who is very concerned that you're moving out of North Yorkshire and he hopes not. But Why does he hope not? Well, he obviously hopes to bump into you. You've got all these little, haven't you? You've got these men around, all, all like catnip, catnip situation. But he says, if you think I'm being nosy, you can tell me to bugger off. I Steve, love the way you say that. Steve, bugger off. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit melplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday. But for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.